Let's read the Holy Scriptures together this morning in Paul's first epistle to Timothy, chapter 1. 1 Timothy, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity or love out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say, nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good, if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless, and disobedient, for the ungodly, and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers, and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Albeit, for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. There ends our reading of the Word of God this morning. May the Lord bless our reading of the sacred scriptures. The passage that we've read is one of the scriptures that stand at the basis for the Catechism's instruction in question and answer 115. The last question and answer of Lord's Day 44. Why will God then have the Ten Commandments so strictly preached, since no man in this life can keep them 
First, that all our lifetime we may learn more and more to know our sinful nature, and thus become the more earnest in seeking the remission of sin and righteousness in Christ. Likewise, that we constantly endeavor and pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, that we may become more and more conformable to the image of God till we arrive at the perfection proposed to us in a life to come. Let's pray together. Before we open thy word, Heavenly Father, we come unto thee with the prayer that thou wilt enlighten our minds, open our ears, and soften our hearts so that we receive the teaching of thy holy word. And give unto thy servant the grace not only to proclaim thy word, but also to apply it to himself. Blessed having proclaimed thy word to this people, he be left a castaway. Forgive our sins, for Christ's sake. Amen. Question and answer 115 concludes the Heidelberg Catechism's treatment of the law of God. The Heidelberg Catechism has thoroughly explained the Ten Commandments of God's law. It has set forth the fundamental will of God for us who are His redeemed people. It has made extensive, practical application of the law to our life in this world. In treating the Ten Commandments, the Catechism's emphasis has been on what is commonly referred to as the third use of the law. Ordinarily, in theology, we distinguish three uses of the law. The first use of the law is the law's function to make known our sin and the guilt of our sin before God, the law giver. It was this use of the law that was pointed out to us already in the second Lord's Day of the Heidelberg Catechism. Whence do you know your misery? And the answer, out of the law of God. This is the ongoing function of the law. This is the function of the law throughout our lives, that all our lifetime we learn. We learn more and more to know our sin and to know the extent of our sin. And then the second use of the law. This is the use of the law in order to regulate public life, society, the life of a nation. The law serves as the standard then, or ought to serve, as the standard by which rulers govern. It's this use, this second use of the law that the Apostle Peter refers to. In 1 Peter 2, verses 13 and 14, when he calls believers to submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Now, as a matter of fact, 
There are few governments in the course of history, our own presently included, that actually do regulate the life of the nation according to the law of God. That, nonetheless, is their calling. But then there is the third use of the law. That is the use of the law as the standard for gratitude. The standard for the thankful life of the child of God who has been redeemed by God's grace through the work of Jesus Christ. It is this use of the law that gets the emphasis in the Heidelberg Catechism. Even the place in the Catechism at which the Ten Commandments are considered, considered in detail, each commandment thoroughly explained, bears that out. For it is in the third section of the Catechism, the section on thankfulness or gratitude, that the commandments are thoroughly explained. And that's because it is reformed to teach in line with Scripture that the life of the Christian is regulated by the law of God. This is the third use of the law. It is with a view to the thankfulness of the people of God that the law must be preached, known by God's people, applied by the people of God, but preached, preached in the gathered congregation, preached in such a way that the law can serve as the rule for the gratitude of a thankful people. I call your attention this morning to preaching the law. Let's notice three things together. First of all, how the law must be preached. Secondly, why the law must be preached. And then finally, under the blessing of God, the fruit, the fruit of the preaching of the law. The law of God must be preached. Apart from the preaching of the law, there cannot be joyful, thankful, obedient living on the part of God's people. We must know God's law. The law of God must be preached in the New Testament congregation. The law of God must be preached to those who are saved, those who have been redeemed in the blood of Jesus Christ, those who have been made partakers of the covenant of God's grace, those who enjoy all of the benefits of God's covenant. Among them, the law must be preached. Clearly, this is the position of the Heidelberg Catechism. The Catechism is treating gratitude. The gratitude of whom? The gratitude of redeemed Christians. The gratitude of those who have by the precious blood of Jesus Christ been purchased unto God. Preached among those who are called to live holy lives in the midst of an unholy world to those who are Christians. God's law must be preached. 
This is the teaching of the Holy Scriptures. There can be no doubt about this. That the law must be preached to the church was plain already at the time of the giving of the law, when at the beginning of our consideration of the law of God, we called attention to that. Let me remind you of that this morning. The law of God was not given to the children of Israel while they were in Egypt. The purpose of the giving of the law then was not, here is my will, these are the Ten Commandments, obey these commandments, and if you do, I will deliver you out of the bondage of Egypt. That was not the timing of God in giving the law, and for good reason. The law was given to Israel after they had been delivered from the bondage of Egypt, after Pharaoh and all his hosts were drowned in the Red Sea. Now the children of Israel were free men. They were no longer the bondservants of the anti-Christian Egyptian world power. And now, to those who had been redeemed and delivered and saved, God gave His law to them. God spake all these words, saying, And so, in the very giving of the law, we learn that God's law was given to the redeemed, to the saved, church of Jesus Christ. Proof of this is also plain from the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. No one preached the Ten Commandments like Jesus, He who is the Prince of Preachers. Look at the Sermon on the Mount. Read that sermon carefully. God's law is set forth in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls His disciples to obey the law of God. And in the strongest language, He condemns those who break the commandments of God's law. After the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven, he sent His apostles into the church and for the gathering of the church out of the nations. Read the book of Acts and see the prominence in the preaching of the apostles of the law of God. Read the New Testament epistles and see that in every single one of those epistles, there is practical application made to the lives of the saints of the Ten Commandments of God's law, so that there is no single epistle where there are not exhortations, admonitions, and warnings that are derived from the law of God. The law must be preached. How God's law must be preached is indicated in the Heidelberg Catechism and is indicated in Holy Scripture. How? It is not only important that the law be preached, but it is equally important that the law must be preached in the right way, in the right way. First, the law must be preached. Preached. Explained and applied in the gatherings for public worship. We may be thankful 
for more than one reason for the Heidelberg Catechism, but one thing about our insistence on the preaching of the Heidelberg Catechism is that regularly the minister is forced, not the best word, is forced to preach the Ten Commandments regularly to the gathered congregation. Second, the law must be preached as law, as law. Law is a demand, a command. Law is imposed upon those who are under authority by someone who is in authority over them. Law is the demand that we be a certain kind of people and that we behave in a certain way. That's law. As law, the Ten Commandments must be preached. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. There is urgency to the demands of the law and the preaching of the law as law. It would be like telling your child who is dangerously close to being burned in the flames of a large bonfire that you would begin to explain to them the difference between first and second and third degree burns. And that more than likely, if they fall into the bonfire, they're going to have third degree burns. And that's going to be very painful. That's going to result in a long hospitalization all kinds of physical therapy thereafter, the danger of all kinds of infection setting in to those burned wounds. That's not what you're going to do. You're going to say, get away from the fire. Move away now. You're going to shout that. You're going to shout that. And you're going to issue that as a command because you are concerned for the well-being of your child. And you are concerned for the terrible consequences of their falling into the fire. So it is with the urgency of the preaching of the law of God. The law must be preached as law. Then when God says, don't have any other gods before me, it will be preached that he means it. And woe to that man or that woman who has another God than the Lord God. When God says, don't take my name in vain, that's going to be preached as the demand of the law of God and woe to you if you blaspheme the name of God. When he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, that demand is going to be preached and the accompanying woe to you who desecrate the Lord's day. When he says, honor your father and your mother, that command of the law is going to be preached as law accompanied by the warning 
And woe to you, young person, who rebels against the authority of your father or your mother. When he says don't commit adultery, he means it. And woe to you who sin against your spouse by committing adultery with another. As the law, the law of God, the law must be preached. But the outstanding thing about the preaching of the law that the Heidelberg Catechism calls attention to in this 115th question and answer is that the law must be preached strictly. That's the question. Why will God then have the Ten Commandments so strictly preached? The word strictly in the German of the Catechism is sharply, pointedly. Why is that the will of God for the preaching of the Ten Commandments? Notice the question is not, is it the will of God that the Ten Commandments be strictly preached in the New Testament congregation? That is not the question. That's presumed. That is There ought to be no question about that. That is the will of God. The question is, why that will of God? Note well that the insistence of the catechism that the law of God must be strictly preached stands in agreement with, not at all in contradiction with, the teaching of Scripture and the Catechism, that the keeping of the law is not the basis, in whole or in part, of our righteousness before God. Our keeping of the law, our good works, do not merit at all or in part our standing before God. But that does not in any way Take away from the will of God that his law be strictly preached. The Heidelberg Catechism has taught us that the people of God in this life, on this side of the grave, can never perfectly keep the law of God. That's part of the question. Why? Will God then have the Ten Commandments so strictly preached? Since no man in this life can keep them. Granted, that is true. Certainly, that is true. We know ourselves that that is true with respect to ourselves. We fall so far short. We cannot perfectly keep God's law on this side of the grave, but that does not either take away from the fact that it is the will of God that his law be strictly preached in the church. Why? What does it mean, preached strictly or sharply? That means first, that all of the commandments are to be preached in light of this commandment. The commandment, the last of them, treated in Lord's Day 44, commandment number 10. That's a unique commandment. That's a unique commandment we saw because it lays claim on the heart, the heart of man, from the heart We must obey God's law. That's what he requires. Not mere outward conformity, but obedience from the heart. Secondly, that the law is to be preached sharply means that the commandments are to be set forth both in their positive and in their negative aspects. 
in the catechism has done a marvelous job of doing that. The first commandment isn't only don't have any other gods. It's have me and have me alone as your God. The sixth commandment isn't only don't murder your neighbor, but it's seek his good, even the welfare of your enemy. The seventh commandment isn't only don't commit adultery, it's love the wife, love the husband that God has given to you. Third, strict preaching of the law means that the commandments are preached in such a way that not merely the grossest form of disobedience, which is usually the one mentioned in the commandment itself, not only the gross form of disobedience, but all other related forms of disobedience are condemned by the law of God. Obedience to the law of God has to do with the principle of the commandment, the application of that principle of the commandment to all of my life. Then the sixth commandment doesn't only forbid murder, but hatred in my heart for any other brother or sister in the church. The desire for revenge, a quarrelsome spirit, wounding of my neighbor, abuse of alcohol or of drugs by which I kill myself, endanger myself. Then the seventh commandment doesn't only forbid adultery, the sin of married persons, but the fornication of the young people as well. It condemns the lust of the heart that is the root of the sin against the seventh commandment. Rape, incest, sodomy, homosexuality, unbiblical divorce, and remarry, they're all included in the purview of the seventh commandment. And then the ninth commandment doesn't only forbid bearing a false witness under oath, either in the civil courts or before the consistory, but it includes the forbidding of gossip and slander and tale-bearing, all lying, deceit, boasting, and flattery they're all included in what's forbidden by the ninth commandment. In the fourth place, the sharp preaching of the law includes the warning, the sharp warning against disobedience to the law of God. This is the reference in the Canons of Dort Head 5, Article 14. And as it hath pleased God by the preaching of the gospel to begin this work of grace in us, so he preserves, continues, and perfects it by the hearing and reading of his word, by meditation thereon. And by the way, the Ten Commandments are included in God's word and by the exhortations, threatenings, and promises thereof, as well as by the use of the sacraments. God uses the exhortations and threatenings of Scripture, which all arise do those exhortations and those threatenings or warnings out of the law of God. God uses the sharp preaching of the law, which includes threatenings and warnings for the good of his church. They belong to the proper preaching of the Ten Commandments. And fifth, the sharp preaching of the law of God means the preaching of the law of God 
from the viewpoint of that summary of God's law. The first and the great commandment, love. Love me, the Lord your God, who has delivered you out of your sin and bondage. And love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It isn't just honor your father and mother by outwardly obeying them. It's honoring and obeying them out of the love that you have for them and for God. It isn't just outwardly keep the Sabbath day. Go to church twice. Sit in a pew, warm a spot. That's not keeping of the fourth commandment. But it's come up to the house of God and participate in the public and corporate worship of God from the heart. All of the law from the point of view of the fundamental and first commandment love. That's 1 Timothy 1 verse 5. Now the end of the commandment is charity. Love. Love. Out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith. Unfeigned. That's the will of God. But why? Why must the law of God be strictly preached? The reason why God's law ought to be strictly preached is not that by our obedience we earn our salvation. We said that. That must be underscored. We cannot emphasize that strongly enough. Partly, in large part, because of the tendency of our own natures. That's legalism. That's the dread error of keeping the law in order to earn or merit with God. Legalism usually shows itself by its emphasis on outward obedience. Outward obedience is important, of course. But that isn't where the commandments end. There's more to obedience than mere outward conformity. Legalism emphasizes that which is outward. And legalism usually emphasizes petty, man-made laws in addition to the law of God. It's one thing to work out the principles of the commandments making application of the fundamental will of God in each commandment and especially in our own day. It's another thing to add to the commandments petty, man-made laws like you may drink not a drop of alcohol, not drunkenness, but not even a drop of alcohol. That's legalism. That's adding to the law of God. The air of legalism is the air that the apostle is especially warning against in 1 Timothy chapter 1. That comes out in verses 7 and 8, desiring to be teachers of the law, not teachers of the law in the sense in which we've been talking about it. Every minister of the gospel must be a teacher of the law. If it's God's will that the law be preached, every minister of the gospel must be a teacher of the law. But he means teachers of the law in a wrong and bad sense. In the sense that our keeping of the law earns for us with God. Those teachers of the law 
are the ones he has in mind, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. And also, in verses 19 and 20, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. They were false teachers, Hymenaeus and Alexander. They were false teachers who were promoting in the congregation at Ephesus obedience to the law in order to merit and to earn the favor of God. No, says the apostle, the sharp preaching of the law is not legalism. It may not be legalism. Law, that's not legalism. Law is what we need. We all need law in our life to regulate our lives. That's not what the catechism is warning against. Not law, but legalism. That's quite different. The reason that God requires the sharp preaching of the law in the church is twofold. First, the reason is that under the sharp preaching of the law, we come to know our sin and our sinful natures more and more. We must make that personal. I come to learn my sinful nature more and more. My sin, not just sin, my sin. And then two things of importance there. In the first place, learning more and more my sin is something that's ongoing, that's a lifelong learning more and more my sin. That's why the old people, the gray heads or bald heads, need to hear the law of God as much as the young people and the children. And secondly, this learning, more and more my sins and sinfulness under the preaching of the law drives me to the cross of Christ. That's the purpose that I go to Christ with my sin and my guilt. It isn't an end in itself, mind you, that I learn my sin and my sinfulness, but that knowing my sin and guilt, I run to the cross of Jesus Christ through faith in Jesus Christ, seek the remission of my sins from God for Christ's sake. And the second reason for that strict preaching of the law in the church is with a view to our obedience. Not just that we know our sin more and more, nor even that knowing our sins, we run to the cross of Jesus Christ. But we don't stay there. We go out into our life in the world in every area in which God calls us to live chiefly our vocation and live to the praise and to the glory of Him. More and more showing forth our gratitude. That's the purpose of the law of God. This is Scripture that's 1 Timothy 1, verse 11. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. You see, I keep God's commandments for His glory, for the glory 
of the God whose grace has been shown to me in Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of the preaching of the law, that God's glory is magnified. What must be emphasized is that with respect to the purpose of the preaching of the law, the great purpose is our obedience. God is not glorified in any other way than by our obedience. And since the glory of God is the great end of the preaching of the law, the great purpose of the preaching of the law is that we obey. Obey more and more the law of God. The fruit of that strict preaching of the law, well, the fruit is first of all a glimpse of the greatness of God. That in the end is the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law really doesn't end in us. Even in our obedience to the law but the glory of the lawgiver whose glory is set forth in each one of those ten commandments. That's the purpose of everything in the Christian life. That's the purpose of the strict preaching of the law. The fruit of the sharp preaching of the law is that God, through the church, also gives a testimony to those who are carnal and unbelieving. There are such in the church. Among our own children, they're not all elect. We know that. From those who join the church, for wrong reasons, there's a carnal element the hypocrites who are mixed in in the church. That was true of Hymenaeus and Alexander. They were hypocrites and false teachers. To them now comes the unmistakable testimony of the Word of God, the Word of God in His law. The sharp preaching of the law that exposes them for who they are. Under the sharp preaching of the law, the mask is ripped away so that they're seen to be who they are. Thirdly, the fruit of the sharp preaching of the law is that my own pride is crushed. I am humbled because my sins have been exposed. My nature the conviction is worked in me, that of sinners, I am the chief, and of saints, the least. I am unworthy. The preaching of the law has a humbling effect. It ought to have a humbling effect among us. I have nothing over you. Nothing. This puts us all on the same level. Sinners saved by grace. Fourth, the fruit of the sharp preaching of the law is that I am stirred up as never before to keep God's law. The motive is gratitude. The possibility is His grace in Jesus Christ by His Spirit so the fruit of the sharp preaching of the law is that I endeavor more and more to live in obedience to God's good commandments. And then one more thing. The fruit of the sharp preaching of the law is prayer. The Catechism says that 
Likewise, that we constantly endeavor and pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit. And you have the lead in, if you will, to the next section in the Heidelberg Catechism. I'm excited to be able to go with you through the remaining Lord's Days of the Catechism that deal with prayer, the Lord's Prayer, within this gem of the Catechism, one of the most sparkling jewels. The fruit of the sharp preaching of the law is that I'm driven to my knees, to my knees, in prayer to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit that I may more and more be conformable to the image of Christ. Prayer for the grace to keep, really to keep God's commandments. Prayer to God for forgiveness, forgiveness for all my transgression and disobedience. Prayer to God that fervently more than ever, I may pray for the perfecting of the life of grace that is proposed to us in the life here after. And so the fruit of the sharp preaching of the law is the fervent prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Father in heaven, bless the preaching on thy law in the last months. May the blessing of the preaching of thy law be the glory of thy own great name. Be that we are motivated to obey thy law and be that more and more we see our sins and sinfulness. We pray that by our life of obedience to thy law, we may be a witness for thee in the midst of a world that despises thee and thy law. Forgive our sins. For Jesus' sake, amen.